Hey everyone, welcome to episode 171.5. Yeah, wow. I know. It's another 0.5 episode, which was the really the flavor of our summer here at the hospital church <laughs> where we had a summer series and each one of those, I don't think there was maybe but one or two weeks out of the six where we actually taped on Monday and or Tuesday as normal for a Wednesday release. And if you've already heard episode 175, you know that for the first time in 170 episodes, we missed our Wednesday deadline. Well, Randy had the flu Monday and Tuesday. And before I realized it last night, I was sitting at home and I was like, boy, it feels like there's something I should have been doing. And oh boy. Yeah, that's what I was supposed to be doing. It was a podcast. <laughs> so as if you've already heard that, you know that our guest today is Dr. Ernie Bercy from Advent Health University. You got it right. Yeah, I, You know, it's hard that's to say good. that. It is hard to say that <laughs> after saying it so many for so long as... Don't say it. Go don't ahead. even say it. Yeah, don't even say yeah. it. So we started a new series this past week called Texts We Love to Misuse. And if that one doesn't give you just a little <laughs> bit of apprehensive, a little uneasiness as you hear the title, and then just making you think of all the things that we know we like to do, and we know we do it, we hate it when it's done to us, but we do it anyway because sometimes it's just too rich to pass up. And this week, the name of our message was It's About a Family Business. And I really thought about this and the Sermon on the Mount, and you think to yourself, all right, we've kind of just been through this yeah. a little bit. So, well, we, we probably know what to expect. I did not know what to expect, Dr. Bercy. Absolutely did not know what to expect. The idea came in a shower, you know. I, I know. <laughs> I, I was going to say the shower conversation. And But when speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, you said, Life is a constant reprogramming of one's thinking, adjusting the steering, a return to the basics. Without this... This sermon can be so discouraging. And that is so true because so often this message, while there's so many things that on the on the outside or on the surface, we really like to hear. But then as we really start to ponder and then take a different look at it, it's like, whoa, are we really invested in what this message has to say? So how do we best become people in a community that is constantly reprogramming our thinking so that we aren't discouraged, but rather we're living lives of these that would mimic the teachings of Jesus. How do, how do we best do that? Well, first, I have to tell you that the idea of reprogramming came to me while I was standing in front of you. <laughs> it was an alternative to the uh, jaded word repentance, which carries okay. so much Ooh, yeah. uh, negative meaning. And not that there isn't something negative about repent, appropriate repentance. but So that, that was a gift Some, somewhere I don't know, but I appreciate it. Um, but I do think, I do think it describes a process in modern terms. I used to use the idea of when we're driving, our, we're constantly repenting our car. You know, we're using the steering wheel. But I like reprogramming even better because it describes in modern terms that we have the opportunity to make significant changes without impugning everything we've done in the past. I think the, the, the positive thing about the Sermon on the Mount in this respect is that is verse 3 of chapter five. And if there's any, you can forget everything else. Remember this one. And this gets close to Andy's gospel preaching. <laughs> it's that word is. Yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now I'm arguing that the Beatitudes are really an unpacking of what Jesus means by what he, we call repentance or reprogramming. But that first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a way of describing a, a repentant mind, empty, open, something in the presence of God, so to speak. For theirs is, is. That's a five-letter Greek word, two letters in English, and that word is not supplied. It's in the Greek. 
when you hear the word blessed is, that first is, is supplied. But the second one is not. It's actually sitting there. And it's intentionally in the present tense where all the others except for the very last one are future. Things that will happen. Yeah. Will yeah. happen. So it's I, I line that up with the idea that if you are aware before God of your of your need of transformation, you're aware of your, of the pluses and minuses in your life that have hurt other people. If there is a desire to be a better person, to learn, you're teachable. Uh, all of that's involved in this poor in spirit repentance or reprogramming. And it's an is. You're in. In. Now, we can argue, where did Jesus come? Well, it's Jesus the one that said it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I do think it's really important to go on to chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come on to me all you who labor and heavy laden. Sure. Now, in that sense, Jesus presents himself as a teacher more than we might think of as a savior. Mm -hmm. So Matthew emphasizes salvation as a present reality, but in which we are reprogrammed through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Christ. So I think you're in. That's what Matthew's saying. And he understands Jesus to be saying, if you have the right attitude toward God, you're in. And I come from a religious tradition that says, that there might even be people in heaven who don't know Jesus' name, but the Holy Spirit's been working on them. See? So, so if you're in, that means you're in. You're not on trial. You're in training. And much of the repentance that we have in the Christian life comes not from, oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm out, I'm out now, but it comes from an awareness that we let God down. We missed an opportunity. We hurt somebody. We repent from our relationships that have been inappropriate or non-existent. Like and in that. that sense, in that sense, I always like to keep my foot on the bottom rung of that ladder of the Beatitudes. <laughs> I'm always there. But it's healthy. Yeah, it's it is. Not, it's not guilty and morose. Uh, it's not something that you push on somebody else. It's an honest awareness of where I am. Or I put it this way, if I believe if God let me see me as I really was, I'd get really discouraged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was very fortunate to grow up in a very uh, unconditionally loved home. So I was in. I mean, I was my father's son. I was part of our family. Uh, but that did not free me from growing. You know, I, I still wanted to develop. I wanted to please my dad more than I had in the past. I wanted to honor him and my and his legacy and all those kinds yeah. of things. So I think that's it's very similar. Is that yeah. there's even though we're in, it doesn't mean that we should be idle or we should be uh, sloughing off. It's an opportunity for us to continually recognize our poverty of spirit and let God transform us by His grace. It's just a constant re re reprogramming. All that great work well, and be more effective in, in, in being that salt and light. Exactly. Well, I like the way you just unpack that because when you said, and I'll just paraphrase here, but this isn't something that we put on ourselves or, or we put onto others. This is something, this is a reflection that we see where we missed an opportunity or this is a self-evaluation of, oh man, this is coming from a place that I know I let God down, like you said, but not somewhere that we can just take that and put it onto someone else. Is there a degree of maturity I mean, if that's not somebody's strong point and they're listening to this and they're going, well, I'm just going to be honest with myself. That's pretty easy to do there, Dr. Bercy. How do I realize that I will take something like that and I'll, I'll be judgmental or I'll put that on someone else? What do you say to someone that maybe struggles in that department and wants to, to make this more of a self-realization? Well, it is interesting that in, in chapter 7, you get the phrase, judge not that you be not judged. 
You know, Jesus yeah. recognizes that that was the Pharisaical problem. They could stay, they were a little higher than the others and they looked down and that Jesus was concerned about that so-called righteous people can look down on others. So yeah. he actually addressed that. And I think that's very helpful. It always helps when I realize that I see a fault in another that I, that I just jolly well may have it myself. Oh, you know, I mean, that whole beam in the eye. Yeah. Oh, man, I was <laughs> just going to say, eye. isn't that the plank thing? Yeah. <laughs> sure. But oh, I man. think what's really interesting, I, I, we didn't get to talk about that, of course, was I've listened to this, I've said it so many times, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So if there is a judgment, <sighs> the judgment you get is the judgment you put on other people. Mm. Now, that is one of the most profound thoughts in I the want to be whole a lot more gracious. sermon. <laughs> For with the judgment you pronounce, oh, you will be judged and you know by who. It's mm. like we get the opportunity to uh, write our own uh, a standard. It's not that God doesn't have anything to say about us, but the operational manual we use in assessing other people, God says, you know, that's your values. Let me judge you by your values. And I do think we don't come up very good even by our own value. No. 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 So no. we need grace. So like we a, need to give grace. It's like a grade school that sets their own rules. Or they'd be much harder on themselves than the teacher <laughs> will be. be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's some obvious truth to that. But growing up, you always heard different people will talk say, oh, they are so much like their whatever. She's so much like her dad or he's so much like sure. her dad. And that's why they don't get along. And I think when you really stop and evaluate that, you look at like where people will sometimes clash. And it's because you're basically looking in a mirror and you're seeing that thing that you don't like about yourself yeah. or the thing that yeah. you know you're not good at. And then you're offloading that onto somebody <laughs> else. And it, you talked about how we're, you know, this corporate saltiness where we can do a lot more together than we can just separate. And, but only if you only if you have the individual grains of salt. Right. They all have to be together. <laughs> And, and being the light of the world. And when you start to think about, like you said, when I give myself a self-evaluation, I don't really like a lot of the things I see. And that gives me the opportunity to rest in the assurance. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom <laughs> the of is, yeah. I put it this back way. There. That was one of the best parts of the whole message. I want, I'm you glad, glad you got it. Yeah, no, I loved it. That's if everything fit. And it's interesting, <laughs> Jesus, as Matthew's edition, he puts it first. Mm -hmm. That's the foundation. Yeah, that, that, wow. really, that really is is very, very significant. The fact that it is the foundation. And I think it's equivalent to Ephesians. Uh, we're sitting in heaven with Christ, mm -hmm. heavenly places. It's lit. It's equivalent to to quote being saved right yeah and i know there's a whole question about how does jesus figure into that and i know that's a huge question but when it's listening to jesus here and jesus is talking to people and matthew is putting it in a few of his congregation 50 years later who are followers of jesus and this may be different kind of language than paul but i think it has some of the same reality so truth we, is still truth is still yeah, deep there. Sure. Yeah. So if we look at this from the other side of the coin, we're talking now about us offloading onto someone else. Now let's turn that around and say, oh, I'm, yes. I'm the person that has been offloaded onto. I've been damaged in. I mean, you insert whatever sin and damage that you can, and you'll have someone who's listening who'll raise their hand in their inside their heart and say that was me, and it'll immediately take them back to that situation or situations by one or more people that damaged them and hurt them. 
What do we tell people as as Christians and as someone who's saying, okay, I know I have work to do and this isn't, I, I can't do it myself. I'm, I'm a broken person just like you. How do we try to gather those people back in and, and knowing that maybe I wasn't the one that hurt you, but I can realize that you were hurt and maybe you were hurt by someone who professed to follow Jesus. And, you know, how do we, how do we bring those back in within what you shared in this message? I, I used to travel with an evangelist as his driver. And when those things would come up, he'd stop, simply pop, stop and apply apologize. He didn't try to say that wasn't me. Mm. It's, it's what mm. we did. He's, he recognized that. I think there's another problem that uh, another challenge that I just alluded to at the end of my remarks that deserves a whole lot more attention. And that is how do hurting people heal? Yeah. People who people who harbor anger, people who, who harbor another thing. I, I just read an article, a compilation of six men who were sexually assaulted as in the military as mm. young men. And reading the devastation of their lives and how they were impacted, it ruined their life. It ruined, I mean, they just, they were really hurt as young men. So there are people who are in a congregation, any congregation, who have an experience like that. And they, well, may need professional help. I do like Dick Tibbetts' book, Mm -hmm. Forgive to Live. Because he does give some practical suggestions of how one does that. And what it is and what it isn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's was, not. It's not. It's not for giving permission. It's not necessarily having a firm relationship with that person no, again. You know yeah. that that we have to be clear. It may not involve reconciliation. It may be in my heart. That might be the most important one. I think out of out of that book, as I interviewed, yeah. we got a chance to interview Dick on a TV show that we did years and years ago at Forest Lake Church with Derek Morris and when the book was coming out. And, and the one thing that he told us on the panel that day was he said, just because I forgive you, if you've hurt me, doesn't mean that you and I are going to hang out in the lobby at church if we continue right. at the same church. Doesn't mean I'm going to invite you over to my house for dinner and and, and continue to put myself in it that situation. Might. It might if you're really a changed person. Right. And yeah, it might. But the thought that it, it doesn't have to no, be, that no. it's not a prerequisite. There was some stuff um, even on, through my first marriage and divorce, and it was very, very ugly. And that was still something that I didn't even realize how much of that I carried with me years later when this happened. And I got a chance to talk to him. And then after the show, talked to him off camera. And that was the most freeing thing, I think, personally for myself, for me, forgiving even myself for things that I hold against myself or say, man, that was dumb. Why did you do that? Or to someone else and to really free you up to say, I forgive you. And however this pans out, however God has this relationship to work out, not work out, be close, be not close. I think that's free. And I think that's something that people, anytime someone talks to me about this and I, I'll, I'll bring that up and they'll be like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I think it's true. And I, I, it has meant the world to me personally. Let me jump in if I can Absolutely. By, by looking at this phrase. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, I, I've understood forgiveness this way, that I ask God to do the best he can on behalf of my enemy. That's what praying means. Mm-hmm. It means that I, I don't wish the worst for them. I don't ask God, give it to them. But in my, <laughs> in my prayer life with God, and now you could say this as a Christian, prayer is a powerful reality. So one of the most assertive actions you can do if you've been harmed is to pray for the person who's harmed you. Yeah. Not, I mean, you pray for yourself, but you pray, you pray for them, not, and I think the process of praying for, it's an action. 
Maybe the action leads to the attitude sometimes or the transformation that gives an opportunity. So forgiveness is, first of all, I think for a Christian, even if it's the enemy, it's a transaction between you and God. Yeah. Before it's a transaction between you and the person who might have harmed you. I think that's what that's the putting those two together. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That is, in fact, for practical purposes, a succinct formula for beginning to address your question. This, first of all, starts, I think, between our relationship with God and ourselves. When something has been done really wrong and we have a hard, angry attitude, we know we were right. I think we have some business with God. And it isn't <laughs> first. first. But yeah, business with God. I like that. And, I like that. And, and the business with God has to be more than, you know, whatever. But we, we actually follow the advice. Pray on behalf of the enemy, the person who hurt you. Yeah. And it's not just pray about. It's pray for, for them. And, yeah. and the other thing is you have to see them as broken. Yeah. And what Tibbetts does is to remind us, let's put the big screen. That horrible thing they did isn't all of them. That doesn't totally define right. who they are. Even as the worst thing you ever did doesn't totally define you. And I think we tend to do that with our enemies or those on the other side of the aisle. The worst thing is what they are. Whereas on our side, well, it's just a little bit of what I did, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. Well, and I think that when you look at the forgiveness and say, I don't have to, you know, be friends. I don't have to do this. I can separate myself. I can forgive and I can release myself from that. I think that sets you up. I know it did for me to then say, well, okay, once I've forgiven them and a little bit of time passes, there's some healing that happens there. That's a natural process. And then once the healing starts, you start to look at them differently. And all of a sudden you start having little pains of empathy. Mm -hmm. You have pains of man, I really feel bad that, you know, this has happened to them or that has happened to them. All of a sudden you start to see their backstory that you might know a little bit. And now all of a sudden it becomes much clearer as to maybe why they made that decision or maybe they weren't equipped to make a better decision at the time that they were in or that spot that they were in their life. And it makes praying for them and for their benefit much, much easier. Yeah, I I found that to be certainly true. And you're suggesting that might come praying for them, might come later. And I'm suggesting it might start earlier. Yeah, and and it might. It absolutely (laughs) might. All the way through. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely might. I think that there's so many ways that we can free ourselves and help them in the process. In the case I'm thinking of in my mind, there's been times of reconciliation and communication. hasn't been constant, but it was a much improved and at least a way for God to say, see, you thought this person was really bad in my view. And in their view going, they were thinking just the same. And we found some common ground in the middle. And I think that's a win. I think that's a win. I think that's a win for God. And I think that's a win for us because it releases so much. But uh, you said you hadn't thought about the, the Beatitudes in this way before, and maybe it was a shower thought, but having a chance as a, as a teacher, as you said earlier, preparing for the message, now you've delivered it twice on, on Saturday, and now with a few days to reflect on it, what's your most important takeaway as you look at this and from this perspective? Well, we can look at the hurting person, and that, we've been doing that, yeah. and we can look at it, the assurance of salvation or the getting in, and we can look at that. But I think the real takeaway is going to chapter 10 where Jesus says, you know, don't worry if you go before trial for your life because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. (laughs) Now, there's no – what that suggests to me is that there is an appropriate kind of openness. You know, I'm not saying that we should never think about things in advance. We ought to have advanced policies. I understand that. Sure. I do. 
I do. I think it's it's foolish to say, well, we'll we'll figure that out when we get there. Yeah. yeah. But what I think Jesus is trying to say, and even giving us these illustrations, is that it is possible to be a creative lover, a person mm. who knows and sees the possibilities where others may not for transformation, for help, a person who is strong enough and has enough confidence in the goodness of God for, for, that they're backed up, so to speak, to be able to make the first move. Yeah. The first move can look like weakness. In Matthew's world, it's strength. Yeah. It's strength. And, you know, you've heard these people say, well, you know, they haven't been very nice to me. Well, what did you say to them? Well, I was waiting for them to come and talk to me. <laughs> Why I mean, don't they all, come to talk to me first? Sure. Why don't they? And then, and then the creative ideas. I think we often undersell creativity in the moral context. We sure. have these rules about how we should do. And we have a manual of what this is what you should do. And Jesus has thrown out three really different or five really unexpected ways to deal with what appeared to be dead ends. Yeah. All of them appeared to be dead ends where you were just being pushed into the corner and, and well, they left me no choice. And you're, yeah, they left me no choice. They lost, I lost my self-respect and they just, they, they were taking away my manhood or they, you know, whatever they were insulting. Jesus had a way in that culture, shame on our culture of saying, Hey, wait a minute, there's possibilities here. <laughs> and the possibilities don't simply go to holding on to your self-respect. The possibilities go further in the sense to transform the situation. Our relationship might be changed if I do this. Yeah. My action, which is unanticipated, unexpected, and I wish we'd had time to get these stories. Oh, yeah. How we in our own life when we've done something and we expected a reaction and it was completely different, different and it was it was an act of generosity, how that breaks breaks down the anger. Yep. So my appeal would be creative assertive love. Don't just say, well, I have to give back what I, what I got. No, no, there's, there's go from the minor leagues in which you play that game to the major leagues in which you look for transformation, uh, liberty, uh, new ways of starting over and so forth. Yeah. Well, and I liked it because within this confines or this outer shell of it's a family business and that, you know, once you're in the family, you're in. And when you look at it through that lens, it makes all of these decisions seems so much more logical than they did before. It seems so much more like, well, of, of course we would want to do that, wouldn't we? I mean, if you were part of the family, of course that's what we'd want to do. And I think as you as you start to get a little, have a little success in this, it makes it much easier so that those prayers come sooner and those views as we look to someone else who might have treated us unfairly or unjustly or even unkindly, which we can often take a huge offense at, way more than we probably should. And you can give someone the benefit of the doubt yeah. off the bat. You can give somebody a, hmm, well, sorry you feel that way and you can move on. You don't have to hold resentment. You don't have to, you know, deal, you know, argue with yourself as to whether or not you're going to forgive this person or all these things. It just comes more naturally. And that's when we start to gain a little, not on our own, but with, with God's help, we start to gain some momentum on being that salt. Sure. Sure. Like and, and I do think there's an interesting illustration. Oftentimes we take personal what really wasn't about us. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, it's like the iceberg. And, and if somebody's reaction is over the top to something you've said, it's a pretty good clear sign that it really wasn't about you. Yeah. It was something else. This was a trigger. You set something off. They misunderstood. And if we stop taking things personally, I, I, I use an example. So let's supposing a faculty member goes out and, and, and just says something really bad about an administrator. Okay. Yeah. And that happens. Okay. 
It's too human. The administrator who's mature might say, you know, I don't know all this guy's or gal's dealing with, but uh, I, I'm not going to take that personally. I'm not going to push it in. I'm not going to take the knife and stick it in my own heart. <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to do it to and, myself. And so oftentimes if we could just understand it's really not about us. Yeah. We thought we were a victim. We were an, we were a bystander who got a stray bullet. How are we going to act? <laughs> exactly. And in that sense, then we have the opportunity to remove our personal ego from that whole situation and begin to deal constructively and, and, and lovingly and maybe assertively with that situation, but not taking it personally. That's yeah. so important in so many of human relations. And it's in the whole rise of social media hasn't helped that one no, little bit. No, no, no. Well, this week, one of our FHC takeaways from Dr. Bercy asked uh, or stated at this point, and then the question, a Christian once said after being struck, you have one more shot at me and then you better <laughs> run. Was he applying the counsel of Jesus correctly? Is there a place for prudence or discretion in applying Jesus counsels? Now, whether literally or metaphorically, we can all relate to this one. And honestly, this may be one of the most countercultural things we could employ in who we are as the salt and the light and how we interact with our community. So how about it? Is there a place for prudence or discretion in applying Jesus counsels? Now, if you have a specific answer to this. I do. And I I'm going to get to you, but if you do have one and you would like to ask that directly to Dr. Bursey, here's what I'll do. Let me know what you think. Leave a voicemail or you can send a text 407-965-1607 or email podcast at hospitalchurch.org. And if we have any questions, I will make sure they get forwarded directly to Dr. Bursey and, and we will get his answer and we can do that on next week's podcast. So is there, since you have an answer, is there a place for prudence or discretion in applying Jesus counsels? One of the values of reading the whole book is that what Matthew does is he keeps unpacking, unpacking, unpacking. So if you get into the next big discourse where people are going out as missionaries, they're not sitting on a hill. They're actually going somewhere, okay? That he says, Jesus says, you know, if they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Keep going. You don't have to take it. And, And so there's some sense in which we neither covet nor aspire to be persecuted. This is not, we don't go around trying to get the lightning to strike. (laughs) And and there there is prudence. Jesus says, you don't have to take it. Go, go to the next city. You know, and he's, that's kind of a way of saying, oh, he also said this, uh, do not cast your pearls before swine. Don't give your, don't give your wisdom to dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they, trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is all, see, this kind of counter wisdom that says prudence, use your, use your judgment. Don't just indiscriminately rile people up and don't, yeah. don't, don't throw things at them that they kill quote pearls if, if they're not ready to hear what you have to say. So I think there's a practical side. So when you read chapter five, you could get the idea, just try anything wild. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but really he doesn't say that. And in the case of the hitting, Jesus never said you had to hit him back. What he's saying is by turning the cheek, you're offering him a third option that he didn't know he had. Yeah. Uh, and in that sense, you're opening the door. So prudence, yes. Uh, but at the same time, being open to create the creative impression of the Holy Spirit, what I might do if I didn't feel internally threatened, if I don't feel internally threatened because I know who I am, yeah. then I'm much more free to be creative in dealing with the needs of other people, including those who probably need friends the most. The most hostile people are in the greatest need of Christian friendship. 
Yeah. Sometimes it takes us to see past that to yeah, get through that yeah. to, to make that connection. Yeah. The words they say, I mean, they, yeah. you know, they, they, they push people away. And at the same time, they're often needing people the most. And in many cases, we should be the ones most equipped. That's why I said, be, be you there for mature. Be, if I could say one thing, be the adult in the room. Oh man, that's, <laughs> that's a tall what, order some days. That, that's, what Je- <laughs> that's what Jesus said when he said, be there for a perfect, be the adult in the room. And we don't have to get political and think about when no. that was said before, you know, yeah. somebody said that I'm going to be, but be, he says, be there for perfect, be you there for mature, like your heavenly father, who's mature. Um, able to be the adult in the room and not take things personally because you know who you are and you cannot be diminished by somebody else's comment. You may be hit by it, but you're not destroyed by it. Yeah. You understand where your worth comes from. All right. Well, our final thoughts are from Dr. Bercy's message. And this again is through the context of the family business. But I really thought that this one hit home really, really well. And it's something that can last with us. So I, before I go ahead and read those, those thoughts, I want to make sure that if you haven't caught the message, please do go to the website. You can swipe up in today's show notes and the link to the actual message is there. You can watch it. But there's, there was so much to unpack. It was almost mind boggling because it all went together, but there was so many different avenues you could explore and he did explore and so there was certainly not enough time today to get through all those things but during the closing he said the greatest opportunities for expanding marketing share again from the view of the family business they often come disguised as disasters how we respond to anger threats injustices insults unfair use of force etc all those things can be the most persuasive moments now if we could keep that realization in our minds as we go through the trials of our everyday life how much differently would we approach things that may be a trigger to us now but later just hey that's just us being salt and light how much better could we be equipped to handle everyday life if we just remembered that sometimes that our biggest opportunities are the things that seem the most disastrous to us All right. So Andy had to leave us a little early today and this week upcoming, he wrote it on the whiteboard this week. I believe that says Jeff, I hope. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. So this will be another text that we like to misuse. Texts that we misuse. I can do all things through Christ. Now, come on. How can we, how could we possibly get, get that one wrong? Well, without, without, I hope to hear what he says, yeah. but I think it can raise false expectations. Ooh. That's the very first thing that's troubling about that. If, in fact, it doesn't work, we wonder what's wrong with God or what's wrong with us. Well, now look at that. And then one sentence, you may have just gotten a precursor to next week's message. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much, Dr. Bercy, for coming and being with us. It's a joy. I absolutely enjoyed your message. And as always, do join us again next Wednesday. We'll be back on track on a normal production date for episode 172. Thanks for listening and have a great week.